welcome to this episode of Saintly Witnesses, where I talk to the Catholic behind the account. Today I'm speaking with Aram Clue, who's going to come on and highlight some crucial information about um, how does like computer science, technology, the ethics, all that combined with Catholic social teachings so that we can better be informed about the moral and ethical implications of um, technology. So I definitely appreciate you coming on and sharing this uh, vital information as we trek into the future. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, this is going to be a, a, a new topic. I think we talked about once a long time ago, um, computing for the social good, which was like a really interesting topic that um, Dr. James McGuffey had highlighted. Um, so I'm look. I'm interested in hearing like a continuation on this idea of like how does technology and science can be ethical and in the confines of morality. Um, so before we get started, let's talk about your faith life. Um, are you a cradle Catholic convert or a revert? And if so, talk about your journey. Like how was it growing up, middle life, and it led you to now? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I'm a Catholic convert. I just was fully received into the church on July 10th of this year. So like, I'm like still wet behind the ears. <laughs> yeah, you're a new Catholic. I'm a very, very new Catholic. Um, yeah. I'm very, very happy and excited um, to be in full communion with the uh, one holy apostolic and Catholic church. <laughs> um, and so like, what's interesting though is Catholicism wasn't like completely foreign to me. I think just the theology was. Um, and, you know, belief in the real presence in the Eucharist. Um, but my mother is a cradle Catholic. Her whole side of the family um, was born in uh, Togo, West Africa. So it's a Francophone country. And so she went to French Catholic school um, and, like, had that Catholic formation, like, since she was born, you know. She was baptized, did her first communion and confirmation. Um, so it's like when her and my dad, um, who is Presbyterian, like, moved to the States, um, they, they still stay Catholic, but she's, she's not a practicing Catholic anymore. Um, however, like family members, um, are practicing Catholics. So I've been to mass, um, with my family to attend a first communion for a cousin or like a baptism, et cetera. Um, so thankfully I'm not one of those, uh, former Protestants or I was never a Protestant who was like, you know, staunchly anti-Catholic. Like I've always liked Pope Francis too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Um, an amazing journey. I would say what, um, what led me into becoming Catholic now, um, it's just like, I, I think that it's God's will, you know, like when I was younger around the age of 12 is when I started getting more serious about my faith. Um, and I actually considered like Catholicism or had an interest in Catholicism back then. Um, I always joke saying I made the mistake talking to my dad about it. Cause my dad wasn't the formerly Catholic one. Um, and my dad was like, you know, I married a Catholic, like Catholics are Christians, like many of them have like a really deep faith. Um, he was like, isn't that harder though? <laughs> like, why would you want to, why would you want to do that? Um, but I don't know, I guess for me, I've always been drawn to the, um, the reverence and the mass and the liturgy, um, uh, how there, how there's so much there, like 2000 years of tradition for um, growing in spiritual discipline and asceticism. Um, and yeah, I think the, the church really has 
all the tools that we need to be followers of Christ. Um, it's not exclusive to us as Catholics. I think I've, I've been to churches um, um, within the Protestant world that have also done a good job with that. But um, um, I've desired deeper inter- intimacy with Christ um, and learning that, you know, Christ is present in the Eucharist, you know, like that kind of intrigued me, you know, like starting a, to like consider, like, is that true? Like I watched um, Father Mike Schmitz talk about that um, in a video that's on YouTube called The Hour That Will Change Your Life. And it, I was like, oh my gosh, like, like listening to that and then going back to read John chapter six, um, where Christ uh, talks about like, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood or like you have no life within you. Like, or um, uh, Matthew 16, like, and, and like that, that being the moment where like Christ says like, upon this rock, Peter, like I'll build my church. Like it, it, it blew my mind. I was like, I've read all this before. Like, why did I never see it from this perspective? <laughs> so um, since then, I just kind of went down a rabbit hole over the past year. Uh, I got plugged in with a local church, um, a parish here. I uh, started attending mass over the past year and I uh, joined the RCIA program in um, October of 2021. I know not everyone knows what RCIA is, if, especially if you're cradle Catholic, but um, the right of Christian initiation for adults. So um, yeah, there were other people interested in Catholicism. Um, we met every Wednesday and just talked about the faith, you know, Catholic uh, social teaching, um, uh, the liturgy, the mass, the sacraments. Um, but we started with the curriculum, you know, which, which is like basically everything that all Christians believe. So it was cool just getting a refresher on that from um, a Catholic perspective too, um, basically from the catechism. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm really happy to be Catholic now. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> yeah, and I can hear like your joy in it too. So that's really good. And it's interesting because it's going to lead into the next question about like memorable moments, but it's like you almost have like the scales come off your eyes and you just see the Bible and New Testament and all these types and figures and with, with Catholic eyes. And it just like, like you said, you you read it before many times, but it's like, wow. So that's interesting. Um, interesting like common thing that many people have. Um, so in this journey, or even as a, a Protestant, did you have any um, like memorable faith moments that like really impacted you? Yes, I have quite a few. Um, I would say in my, in my childhood, um, the, the Presbyterian church where I was baptized, um, it was called Middle Smithfield Presbyterian Church. And I remember being in Sunday school, like maybe around like the age, like, like five or six, like, um, and just learning about God for the first time. Um, and our Sunday school teacher, Wayne Lanise, was just kind of explaining, you know, that God's in heaven. He loves us. You know, we were made by him and um, we're meant to be with him. You know, he created us. Um, and I just started crying, like in the middle of Sunday school. And like, you know, like Wayne is like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? Are you OK? And like, I'm just saying, like, I just want to see God, <laughs> you know, and that's it was such a you know, a childlike um, desire and a passion uh, for finding God. Um, and I think that's just stayed with me, you know, since that, that moment. Um, just, 
just seeking after God, seeking truth with a capital T. Um, and so uh, as I got older and discovered apologetics in college um, and, you know, like came more into my identity as like, um, you know, uh, a second generation, like African-American, um, since both of my parents are immigrants, I, I just like, I grew deeper and closer, like in my desire to, to find truth. Like, is that really God, you know? Um, how, how do I like just encounter Jesus, you know? Uh, so that was a good early example of um, uh, like coming into my faith. But I think it's taken a resurgence uh, once I graduated from college in 2019 too. Cool, cool, man. Thank you for sharing. Um, so you, you were like a, a couple weeks in New Catholic. <laughs> so like, what, what's some memorable, not memorable, like what are some some key things that you would say to anybody who's discerning becoming a Catholic or think they that they might want to like take that plunge? What would you say to them? Yeah, I would say if you're thinking it, about it, then God is probably calling you to do it. Um, and I'm, I know that it's a difficult thing for some people, depending on their circumstances. Like I, I've read a lot of stories of converts, especially in the coming home network, um, or just like testimonies on YouTube, like Scott Hahn or Keith Nestor. Um, some of these people had careers that were deeply tied to their faith as Protestant Christians, like a professor of theology in a seminary or like a pastor of a United Methodist church, respectively. Um, and so pursuing becoming Catholic for them literally meant like finding a new career, you know, um, and like potentially losing a lot of really deep relationships with people who don't agree with Catholicism. Um, so I would encourage you if you're in a situation where like converting could be difficult, um, like maybe even if it's like your family members, like that might not appreciate that, um, continue to lean into, into God in prayer. Um, stay focused on Christ. Um, I think that's been the centering thing for me, like, especially when I, like, before I even believed everything that, like, the Catholic Church teaches, like, the magisterium and the catechism, um, I had to trust in God, you know, and, and in Jesus, like, when I'm at adoration and, like, um, worshiping um, the Blessed Sacrament, like, I have to be so sure and say like, Christ, if that's really you, then I worship you, you know? And if not, please forgive me because I'm still trying to figure this out. Like, um, and that's why, like, I think, um, you know, in Jeremiah 29 verse uh, 13 is, was a centering verse for me throughout my conversion story. It says, um, um, you seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Those who, who, who like, openly and like um, unabashedly pursue Christ, um, we'll find him because he's, he's longing after us and he's always chasing after us too. Yeah, that's a good point. Thank you for highlighting and good wisdom too from a, a new convert. Um, so now we're going to switch and go to the next topic. Um, so since you're like a, a huge computer science genius and expert and an, an aspiring or you have dealt a lot with like uh, the ethics of technology in your in your previous roles and in your future aspirations. Um, like what 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 made you consider the ethical, philosophical, and like spiritual aspect of uh, like this 
this topic and shed a little bit of information on like the uh, fourth industrial revolution. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so I I feel like I just by virtue of being in the tech industry, um, I've tried to find you know what area of tech do I want to focus on um, and like kind of like plan my career moving towards. Um, but what's interesting is like uh, for my undergrad, I, I didn't study computer science at all. Um, I took some comp sci classes, um, particularly around like data structures and algorithms. Um, um, that's, that's what I really like about getting a liberal arts um, degree. Like you get to kind of do everything. Um, so that was a required class for me, like before I graduated. Um, but my degree was in inter international comparative studies, which is a very interdisciplinary major where you develop this discipline and, and framework of like how you can break apart systems of um, like economics and like government and um, uh, political ideology like around the world. Um, and so um, my concentration was in de development in Francophone West Africa. And I did my final capstone project um, related to like uh, migrants and refugees and um, uh, the working poor like across African diaspora, um, particularly, you know, Francophone Africans in um, France um, and like the Chile Noir movement. Um, so it was a movement of workers that like protested in France um, uh, that may many of them were from the African diaspora. And so like, I've always had that kind of interest in like, um, you know, development and solidarity with those who are oppressed and marginalized. Um, and I, I, like the tech industry is, so inherently like intertwined with that. Uh, and let me tell you why. So uh, if I pull out my iPhone in my hand, right? Um, every single time we make an innovation like this, that we put into the hands of every person on the planet, what we're doing is inherently changing society. Like, like even during the pandemic, now when you go into a restaurant, they don't even give you physical menus anymore. It's a QR code because there's this expectation that you will adopt technology. Um, and that doesn't inherently have to be a bad thing, but we need to continue to think about ethics and philosophy so we can decide what technology is actually useful and beneficial for us um, as fully integrated and holistic and healthy humans. Um, or what is just there to serve, you know, economic incentives that continue to harm our people, you know, and all people. Um, and so, like, uh, I think what really sparked my decision to become a, a tech ethicist was um, the film um, The Social Dilemma, which was on Netflix. Um, it was created by the, the Center for Humane Technology and uh, Tristan Harris, but it's, it's a really cool documentary of former software engineers and technologists who work at like um, the top like Silicon Valley institutions like Facebook, now Meta, um, Apple, Google, Twitter. So a lot of these software engineers left because they realized um, that the incentives of the attention economy and like the, the algorithms that are used um, in like all of the software that we take for granted every day, like this, uh, this Zoom call that we're on, you know, for example, they realize that those algorithms um, have taken a mind of its own in being so effective 
in causing people to use their their applications and become addicted to um, the notifications, um, they don't even want to be a part of it anymore. They, 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 like if someone created Instagram, but they would never let their own children use it, like there's a problem there, you know what I mean? Um, and so like, uh, like saying that like doesn't mean that I'm a techno pessimist. I think you can exist on social media uh, and use technology in a healthy way. But um, the problem is the industry and the, the like attention economy works against you in doing that. It, it's not, it's not designed for you to live a healthy and holistic life. And so um, as the documentary came out, a lot of ethicists have been pushing the tech industry um, to kind of like reform their incentives or, or, or like, like, be more conscientious about society. Um, and um, I've gone to like uh, summits, like the one hosted by All Tech is Human um, on responsible technology. And I met a lot of people who work in the tech industry or um, the, the public or private sector or are in academia who are also interested in this. So like you can work in tech um, and also, you know, want what's best for society. and. and um, that's what I'm trying to do. <laughs> right. Thank you for your, your hard work and dedication. And you highlighted something about um, techno-racism um, and about like facial recognition programs and algorithms that use public data that further like marginalize already historically marginalized and neglected people. Um, so that's a good lead into the next question. Um, so when we talk about like this industrial wave uh, or this fourth industrial wave and like automation and like this amazing innovation that's happening. Like what are some key topics that we need to consider going forward and how should we approach them? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. Um, so talking about like the fourth industrial revolution, um, here's a really good quote that I have from the World Economic Forum. They said here that the fourth industrial revolution represents a fundamental change in the way that we live, work, and relate to one another. It is a new chapter in human development enabled by extraordinary technology advances commensurate with those of the first, second, and third industrial revolutions. However, these advances are merging the physical, digital, and biological worlds in ways that create both huge promise and potential peril. So like, Kind of as I was just explaining with the previous question, um, it's not just doom and gloom. Like the fourth industrial revolution is, is us learning from the past. Like 30 years ago, if we knew what we did now about the internet, what would we have done differently? You know, like, uh, because inherently at the beginning, like the dot-com boom seemed like it was great. You know, like um, people are able to get connected from all around the world and like, um, change the way in, in which we we help people stay connected. And, and so there, those are positive things about technology. Um, and so like going into this fourth industrial revolution, there are um, organizations and nonprofits that are trying to focus on saying like, let's do it right this time <laughs> and let's fix the damage that we've already done um, in, in, in so many societies and um, so many in industries. Right. It's good to know we have like people vigilant from the past who are trying to inform the future for a better society. So that's good. 
Yeah. Um, so you were Catholic and you studied Catholic social teaching in RCIA and uh, even probably as a, a Protestant, you had like a really good foundation for social justice. Um, mm -hmm. So how can Catholic social teaching play a, a crucial role at like keeping the fourth industrial revolution in the, the confines and barriers of like just morality? That is a very, very good question. Um, so as a, as a Catholic and as a lifelong Christian, um, we know where we can get our morality from and our ethics. Um, I think the interesting thing about um, mixing faith with our desire to like, um, you know, reform our world is like in faith terms, that's what we say every time we pray the Our Father. Um, let thy kingdom come on earth um, as it is in heaven, you know? So when we say that, what that means is in, 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 Christ, in Christ's kingdom, in God's kingdom, um, like in the Garden of Eden, everything was as it should have been, but we live in a broken world now, you know? Um, you know, there's greed, there's avarice, there's um, envy, there's all of the cardinal sin, um, and that being compounded over... Um, thousands of years of like civilization um, is why we, we're left with the world that we have today, like mental health um, issues uh, skyrocketing in the Western world. Um, and so when we think about like the developing world, is it really the right thing to just import what we've done in the West and just paste that onto like, you know, places in Africa or in Asia and like um, uh, the global South. Um, I think they're like, we have the opportunity to use our faith, you know, and, and what's taught in Catholic social teaching to, to really ground what we're doing, like prioritize, like, the, like forming the human person and keeping that human person um, loved, um, healed from trauma and wounds um, and making sure our society and our, um, our economy doesn't continue to oppress us, you know. And that's a good point too about safeguarding like the people and the people most vulnerable. When I think about technology, I always think about uh, a modern piece of technology really, which is like the atomic weapons. And so like in years and, and especially like recent decades, many popes uh, have spoken about it. Uh, it seems like there's like a growing consensus now that like, hey, this was like a, a heinous evil that we committed in this should not be done again. And so this armament is something I think is like a really uh, a good way to tie in like with technology. Like in the past, we didn't thought it was good, but now that we can learn from the past to better inform the future, we should really just be embracing like open disarmament of nations. Um, so yeah, I was thinking about that when we were talking. Um, so you are like a fresh new Catholic, but I'm sure along this journey, you had some really great, saints and figures that you looked up to and saw the example and say, wow, those are really great holy men and women. Um, do you have a favorite saint or figures and who are they? Yeah, um, I definitely have loved getting into the saints, um, becoming a Catholic. Um, I think one of the first saints that, that I ever like looked into, like, and this is well before I started looking into becoming Catholic, um, was St. Martin de Porras. Um, my senior year in high school, uh, applying to different colleges, like Villanova was on my list. And 
they had um, a scholarship opportunity program um, called the St. Martin de Porres Scholarship. Um, and I thought it was really cool that there was like, you know, a black saint, an Afro-Latino uh, saint um, that's so celebrated, like uh, even within uh, Western Christianity. Um, and I really, I really loved his example of, um, you know, just, just being simple and kind and, and, um, even though like his life was hard and he suffered and he was marginalized, um, it seemed like he had this like inner strength to persevere anyway and, uh, be kind even in, in, in times where it would be hard to, um, and that's inspiring. It's heroic, um, which is common with, you know, all saints. Um, and so, um, I really like St. Francis too. Um, I did RCI at um, St. Francis of Assisi Parish in, in Raleigh, North Carolina, where I live. Um, and uh, just like some of the some of the people on our RCIA team that um, help bring people into the church, um, they're professed uh, secular Franciscans, uh, which means that they they don't wear like a habit like a like a friar would. Um, it's for men and women. Some of them are married, some of them are single. Um, and they live, you know, normal lives, like in the secular world, have jobs, children. Um, and so some of them shared with me, uh, the role of, um, St. Francis, like, especially in really just inspiring all people and being um, a great example of someone who is uh, transformed and, um, impassioned with, um, with, Christ, the person, you know, um, and he saw Christ in the lepers and he saw Christ in, um, um, the beggars and, um, wanted to live in radical solidarity with them. Um, and you know, when I, when I think about, uh, our modern society, just driving down the road, I see people who are unhomed, um, almost every day. Um, and I've had, you know, the blessing and, and, and the honor to, to treat them with dignity and humanity, um, just like Francis did. Um, so I would definitely highlight St. Martin de Porres, St. Francis, and I, I'd be remiss not to highlight St. Augustine as well. Um, being a North African saint, doctor of the church, and my confirmation saint, um, like he, he's definitely the GOAT. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> uh, did you know that... Um... St. Martin de Bourges was like a mystical like guy. He could like levitate and like be in two places at once. He was yeah. like a he's like a really mystical guy. Did you read yeah. that about him before? I did read that about them actually. Um I know Padre Pio was also um like that was one of the miracles that that was attributed to him by location. Um and so like that was crazy even reading like like as a Protestant for the scholarship. I was like, whoa, like St. Martin's gotten like next level holiness. Like he's doing that right. do a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's good. That's good. St. Martin the Poor. Then August and then Augustine, Augustine, however y'all pronounce it. It's, mm -hmm. it's a good figure, man. Um, well, I definitely appreciated this conversation, especially about a crucial topic that's going to um, help keep us informed as we talk about AI and um, automation that's continually happening and how we protect the most vulnerable from being disenfranchised by technology. Uh, and I think the church can and must play a crucial role in keeping companies and just like the economy within like a moral confine to ensure that the dignity of work is upheld, 
the dignity of person is at the foremost at, at this conversation. Um, and making sure that we, sure we can have money and make money, but making sure that the dignity of person and justice is always at the, at the center. So I definitely appreciate you like giving us this, this wisdom to help us better advocate for a just society. So thank you. Thank you. No, thanks for the opportunity to have this conversation. I really enjoyed it too. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And you guys um can keep Aram in your in your prayers and the work that he does. And you can listen to the next episode of Saintly Witnesses. Mm -hmm.